I'm Jenny Scott, and you're listening to episode 27 of the In This Skin podcast. Each week on the show, I invite a guest to share where she is in the journey to being comfortable in her own skin. And our goal is simple, to encourage and inspire you to be comfortable with yourself, understanding that a creative God made you just as you are with a distinct purpose for his kingdom. As I have talked to women in all stages of life, I have learned that loving ourselves, body, personality, and spirit does not come naturally. It takes purpose and intention, and for most of us, it's quite honestly a struggle. But it's a struggle we often deal with silently and alone. That's why I started this podcast, to open the conversation about a topic that we all face and to bring the dark parts of the struggle into the light of God's love. My simple hope for you is that as you listen, something you hear will encourage you to live confidently in the skin you wear and to be full of hope that the God of all love looks at you with delight. My guest for today's show is Paula Francis Price. Paula Francis is the InterVarsity Associate Area Director for North Georgia. And you guys, she is originally from Spartanburg, South Carolina, just like I am. We had no idea of this at first and we don't know each other. But when she reached out to me, we figured out that we're from the same area and we're determined to figure out who the people are that we both know. Although she is from Spartanburg, she grew up in Saudi Arabia and she now lives in Athens, Georgia with her family. She and I talked about all kinds of things, like what it's like to grow up feeling like you're not enough. And we talked about things like racial reconciliation. I think you're gonna appreciate a lot of the perspective she brings to the show. So you guys, here is my conversation with Paula Francis Price. Right, everybody has their own story of how they came to know Jesus. Um, and being from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and moving to Saudi Arabia, I was raised in the pew, um, but, I'm also the middle child of three daughters, all of whom are athletic and smart. And just to like kind of explain, my older sister was national athlete. Like she went to Duke. My little sister went to Georgetown, like very high achievers in our family. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was me who I went to Emory and still played water polo on a sports team. But I was never um, or I never thought that I measured up to my family. Um, which makes my family laugh when I say that, but there's this like this insecurity of who am I and what is that? What does it look like? We call our last name is gay. Uh, so we call ourselves the gay girls. Um, like how did I fit in right yeah. this very high achieving family where uh, everybody always looked at us and thought we were like this very, I don't know how to say that, but like people expected a lot from us. My parents never said anything to make me feel that way. I just felt that way, right? And I think that um, now that I've known a little bit more about uh, how both the enemy works and how our psychology works, especially since I have a kid, that a lot of those things that we don't have to be told things to interpret it. So that's how I felt going into high school. And on top of that, I went to this camp. um, It's actually uh, in the North Carolina, South Carolina area. It was a Christian camp. And all the cool kids were these strong believers. Right. And I, I desperately wanted to be like them, but it was, it wasn't so much like I was trying to be like them because I believed in God. It was more like I was trying to be like them because I want people to perceive some off like perfect persona. If that makes sense. Does that like, it wasn't like I went to, I looked at the Christians at the camp and thought, Oh yeah. Yeah. I want that freedom of Christ. It was more that I was like, Oh, they look so perfect. They look, they have put together. I want to be like that. Yeah. Um, so that, that was my story going into college. And, um, I remember I was being at a, um, a senior party. I went to a boarding school at the time. It was a senior party 
and I woke up on the floor drunk. Um, and so my mom, you know, like the way moms do was like, well, you get to become who you want when you get to college. And so I started trying to, I, I decided I was going to join a Christian group in our varsity. Um, and it wasn't until second semester of being involved in university that I really felt like God was inviting me uh, to be loved by him and to believe that I was his beloved. And so that's when he started to address all of those insecurities that I felt of like, no, 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 I love you. I love exactly who you are. Um, your listeners can't tell, but I'm six feet tall. That was always a uh, insecurity for me <laughs> of like, I love your tall gingliness. I love your, your awkwardness. I love everything I made about you. I made, and I love, yeah. um, and I don't compare you to other people. And there's this really sweet children's book called you are special by Max Lucada that my parents read to me all the time. <laughs> um, so much so that my little sister has it memorized. And yet somehow that freshman year, I finally understood what it meant that I was special, that God was the only one who judged me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was really freeing. And that, that happened all about the same time that I say in my story when I became a believer. Um, I don't actually know when the death to life happened because I grew up in the pews. Uh, but that was that was a huge thing for me is for God to really address my insecurity and my anxiety and say, like, I love exactly who you are. Does that make sense? That kind of answer your question? It does make long- sense. No, no, I think that's great. And what I'm wondering is, do you think anybody on the outside, you know, your sisters, your family, your close friends would have recognized um, kind of that internal struggle that you were having? Or do you think you did a really great job convincing everybody? No, I've got it together. Like, I, I, I know who I am. I'm great. Or do you think they would have sensed it? Um, I think people who are closer to me would have. So I think both my sisters probably knew. Um, I was, my insecurities came out of being, uh, my insecurities manifested in me being a bit petty and, um, yeah, trying to, whenever you try to create a persona or wear a mask or however you want to say that, um, you have to put people down to do it. And I really noticed that with working with college students, right? That the more okay you are with who you are and believe that you are loved with who you are the more you want to uplift other voices. And so I was the opposite of that, right? Um, But then I think there's other sides of it of, uh, and we we grew up in Saudi Arabia, so we had to go to boarding school. um, And I went to one of the better boarding schools and I got got into one of the better boarding schools, went to one of the better boarding schools, was always a fairly good athlete, uh, did well in school. Like, right, like on paper, I looked like I had all together and I even attended Bible study, right? Um, so I think there are some people who may have said like, yeah, she's not the most popular or she's not the, she's not quite as, you know, like she's not the prettiest, like her older sister or the most fun, like her younger sister, but I was never, nobody ever looked at me and thought, oh, she didn't have it together. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think what you could have seen it is if you knew me well enough and saw how I treat other people. And I think that, I mean, I feel that way now as a minister, um, whenever I see, Especially people in other, uh, other men, like other other ministers, other leaders like myself, when they feel the need to put somebody down, I'm like, oh, what, what insecurity is causing you to put that person down? Yeah, because I think when we fully understand that we're loved by God and that He is the one who gives us um, what uh, validation, we only lift people up, and and because we don't need to put anybody down because God has already lifted us up. Um, yeah. Ephesians two really comes to mind that like, right. Like that God lifted us up with his, with his sign and 
those of us who believe that are like, yes, let me lift you up as well, because it's not about putting people down, but how many people can we lift up with us? Yeah, that's so Um, good. I completely relate to that. And, you know, I'm just curious, you said kind of your freshman year is when God really started dealing with all of those insecurities and and changing Mm -hmm. your mindset to the point where you are today. So what did that look like when he started dealing with you, you know, with those insecurities? What, what do you mean by he started dealing with me for somebody who's listening, who perhaps has some insecurities that God needs to deal with? What, (laughs) what does that mean? You know, what did it look like for you individually? Yeah. Well, first I want to say that God is still dealing with me on that. I'm on (laughs) right now from work and I'm realizing that, uh, that whole refining fire, right? Like the God is just continuing bringing up like whatever our base sin is. And on the Enneagram, I'm a, I'm a one with a two wing. So like this, this is speaking to exactly my struggles of wanting everybody to think I'm perfect. Um, so I am still, still, still dealing with, still dealing with it. Um, but for me, again, I'm I'm from the South and very culturally Southern um, because my parents are. And for me, being Christian was about a set of rules, right? And so when that mindset switched to that I was invited into this relationship with God or this relationship with Jesus, um, that's where I started to really engage in reading scripture and learning about God wasn't this like set of rules to be this quote perfect person, end quote, but was more about this relationship with this living person that wanted to get to know me. And so as, as that change happened, um, I started not only reading scripture uh, inductively and in praying more, but also engaging in mission. Um, and it was through things like sharing my faith where I would feel really insecure, like, oh, I can't share my faith. Everybody knows me in my sorority or on my water polo team. Um, and God would just show up and be like, actually, all those things that you think are messy, I think are beautiful. And so, like, uh, I remember a really great example of I had a, um, I dislocated my shoulder for like the sixth or seventh time my sophomore year. And um, I, and I know you asked for freshman year, but my my story is very long, right? Because I'm actually really old. <laughs> I dislocated my shoulder and uh my one of my teammates came to my dorm room because I had to go get I had to have reconstructive surgery and I was hyped up on pain pills right so I just finished surgery and she was like I want to know about these baguettes right I want to know about this numbers thing and as we're we're talking about numbers in the bible I am again high on painkillers from the surgery and yet God met the two of us there in this really weird with this really weird conversation where I wasn't even a part of it. Like I mean I was I was there, my mouth was moving, but the Holy Spirit just took over. I am not advocating sharing the gospel while you're recovering from surgery. That is not what I'm advocating. I'm more advocating that like afterwards and thinking about that because the, the woman later became a Christian. Um, I had to really wrestle with the fact that I had nothing to do with that conversation. And I asked my, my college minister, you know, like what was going on? And, and she's like, yeah, God used you, but you weren't the one, you weren't the most important part of that. It was God, like Garcia needed to connect with God. And that's what had to happen there. And she, and so it just kind of reminded me as I started engaging with mission, engaging with God, that like, A, that he can use me, even though. I, I can tell you all the flaws I have, but the God can use me and he doesn't see those flaws. He sees my daughter. He, see, he sees me as his daughter. And then also that my journey is not about me. It's about yeah. him and his, um, his uh, 
purpose is coming to this earth. And, and so those two things, I think another example of that is that um, about senior year of college and I went to college in Atlanta, Georgia. And for those who don't know, Atlanta is the site of a lot of civil rights issues, um, both a lot of things that went wrong in the 60s, but also a lot of the civil rights activists. And um, I was praying in a group of, I was the only white person in the group praying. And somebody said something about race. And I was like, well, I'm colorblind. And one of my friends stopped me and was like, you, you can't say that. That's not fair. That's not fair to us. Like that is actually, that feels racist to me. And I got mad and I got really, really pissed off. And, and I went to God and I was like, God, how dare somebody say that to me? Like, that's just not okay. And um, God turned it around. He's like, well, actually, that, that, that's how they feel. Why is that not okay? And also, why are you so offended? Why is this about you? And just kind of an understanding of like, uh, when I started to realize that I didn't have to be perfect and have to have this persona Jesus was able to let me hear both criticism and positive as not something against my character, but against like things I did. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, just the the incident with saying you're, you're colorblind and, you know, you don't see color because that's such a huge issue going on today. And that's something that I've personally been thinking a lot about is, you know, for some of us who were raised, um, you know, in the South with all of the the history of the civil rights movement and, you know, all mm. of that kind of in the, the background of our minds. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I've had to learn about white privilege. I've had to accept that because of my race, there are certain privileges. And so even the ability to say, well, I'm colorblind, even though I'm not, you know, like, even though I, I do see color, just the just being able to say that is a privilege. And it is, like you said, like your friend said, a slap in the face, like, no, God created us differently. We look different. And for us to pretend those differences don't exist, that's kind of an affront to him. Um, I just think it's so important that that is a topic that we talk about in the church today is how do we deal with racial reconciliation without pretending it away? You know, how do we have those hard conversations? So I'm just glad you brought that up. Well, and I think the privilege part is a huge thing of it because I used to be offended when people would say I had white privilege. And again, um, like if somebody's there, like I'm not not condemning you. Um, there's some excellent books on this issue, but uh, I used to be really offended when people would call me privileged or white privilege or would mention that. And um, because I heard it as a front to me, because right, like that's where my insecurity is, is that. If you say anything negative, it automatically means that you hate me or you don't like me, which if somebody doesn't struggle with those anxieties, you might, that, that comes across as self-centered. But where God has really worked with me, especially with racial reconciliation is this is actually not about you. This is about me, right? Like God, like God, God has really helped me understand. Like I, uh, God has helped me to see that he made all people in his image and he made them beautifully diverse. And to not, and it, it, the, the, to see their beauty and the depth is about him. And to also be able to recognize that we have flawed systems in our world is to recognize evil, which is okay to do. And I can do that and also recognize where I may have uh, both participated in evil or um, uh, pri gotten privilege from evil. Because there are areas that I have, uh, like where I have participated, but like I've, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the word. That sounds so dumb. Uh, no, like benefited, I, maybe? That's the right word. Yes, ma'am. Where <laughs> I benefited from it. Yeah. Um, and to be aware of that and to say, like, I'm sorry doesn't mean that I'm a bad person.
person. And I think that's why we've really gone wrong in this conversation is that people take it so seriously. And so one thing that I've been working on more lately in the past couple of years is when I teach on racial reconciliation to actually use the terms to say, hey, I struggle with racist thoughts. I struggle with living in a white in a society that where I have privilege and taking ownership of those things. And then also saying, but that doesn't change the fact that I am Dodd's God. God's daughter and he loves me too. Yeah. And I think that it's been helpful for me to really see like, I don't know if that made sense. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely it did. And I think that's just such a huge growth point that we as individuals, but also we as followers of Christ have mm-hmm. to go through, you know, that's such a huge um, maturing is the ability to look at ourselves objectively, kind of step outside of ourselves for a second and say, okay, how have I benefited because of the way systems are set up or because of, you know, what's institutionalized in our nation and and that sort of thing. Um, I think just beginning to have that conversation can, can bring about so much positive change and just, you know, just letting people of another race or, you know, people who are different from you in any way, just let them know that you're even aware of it, that it's on your mind, that it's something you're thinking about. Um, you know, that's, that's a starting point. I think we all have to look and say, okay, what is my next step in this? What else do I not know? Where am I ignorant? What can I learn? Um, one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking is I know that you spent time in Saudi Arabia. And so I'm curious how kind of that cultural difference might've impacted you. What was it like being an American living in Saudi Arabia? Were you kind of insulated from that culture? What interactions did you have? Um, you know, as an American living in Saudi Arabia, and how did that affect you? That is a really good question. Um, and it's funny because when I say that, everybody looks at me and like, well, you are, you know, pale, blue eyed with light brown hair. Doesn't I don't fit the stereotype. And that's because my, again, my parents are from America. There's this kind of company over in Saudi Arabia called the Saudi Aramco Company. And they bring over... I mean, tens of thousands of Americans that live in these little American compounds, mostly from, and this is hilarious, Texas, Louisiana, and Greenville, South Carolina, Um, (laughs) because there's this company called Flora Daniels. It's based out of Greenville. Uh, They bring all of these people over to Saudi Arabia, and we live very insulated in these little compounds. One of them is very big. The one I lived in was very small. Um, we go to American schools. <laughs> um, we, you know, say the Pledge of Allegiance of America. We, the schools are technically international, so I did have friends from other places. But I actually did not start interacting with Arab people until I got into college my junior year. I took an internship in Dubai. And um, while at the internship, I also volunteered with a missions organization over there. And that was really the first time I started interacting. So were you there from tell me what years you were in Saudi Arabia like what ages were you so I uh turned seven the first time like turned seven then we moved over there and so I started second grade at the school there and I stayed there in school with my family until I was 14 after finishing freshman year of school and then I went to a boarding school in Connecticut while my parents still there and so my boarding school I spent three years in boarding school and then when I was in college my parents lived there for Sometime, sometime in boarding school or college, I don't remember which, because it, um, you know, I was, I was in America or the United States. Um, my parents moved to Doha and then Jordan and then Dubai. And so growing up as a kid, I spent every summer in Greenville, South Carolina. 
And then when I was in high school and college, I did the opposite. I spent my summers in in whatever country my parents were living in. So gotcha. <laughs> it's why I don't speak Arabic. I I love the culture. I love the food. I love the people. Um, but I don't. Uh, I don't always like relate very well because I, I it was yes I'm a third culture kid, which is what it's called. But like I spent a lot of time in America or yeah. the United States. Um, yeah, now that yeah, makes sense. I think one thing that it did give me about my relationship with God and um, is that it gave me a different story. So, you know, I was raised by these parents that really strongly identify as Southern and, and act very Southern. And I love that gift they gave me. But because I grew up overseas um, and I got to see these different experiences, I also have like a different side of it where like I do, I love our our culture and our um, and the way the world works down here. But since I've also lived in other countries, I can see how there's also been other places. And so it, it's kind of given me a, a love for both traveling and a love for other people. Uh, so I feel very blessed to have had that experience, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I did not travel outside of the United States until I was an adult, you know, until I was grown and had kids. Um, and that's not an experience I want for my own children. You know, I want them to to see the rest of the world. I want them to understand um, other cultures and that, you know, just because ours is the culture that we live in and that we see and that we're the most familiar with doesn't mean that it is the superior one. And so, yeah, I mean, I just think that's such a huge benefit for you, you know, that you got to um, experience what life was like in other places. Even if you were not assimilated into it, you know, you still had the experience of being there. And I think that's something that a lot of Americans need. It's just a simple acknowledgement that we are not the center of the universe as much as we would like to believe that we are and act as if we are sometimes. Um, it's just important to acknowledge that we're not. Yeah, especially with faith, because our faith actually uh, started over in the Middle East. Whenever, so I, I work in campus ministry now. Um, whenever my students are asking me questions about like, this seems to be kind of America-centric, I get to say, well, Jesus actually lived in sign. <laughs> Well, yeah. let's talk about this. So yeah. I agree with you. I cannot wait to travel. My my little girl loves riding in a plane. So hopefully I can. I, I'm excited to give those opportunities to my daughter. Um, to let her travel so she can see the world. And also see how God is, is different in the world. Which I think also helps us to see. One thing I've really noticed in, in my life is that as God has been uh, growing me and understanding that he loves who he made me to be, or like that I can be okay with who he's made me. Um, it's helpful for me to see that he's okay with that in everybody, right? Like, and so especially when I'm working with college students, when they have this homogenous view of what it means to be either a Christian or a follower of God or however they define it, it actually hurts their their uh, their ability to see that they are actually beautiful because nobody fits in that stereotype, whatever the stereotype that you have is. And the broader picture you get of what it means to be God's child and to be beloved by him, the, the more it is to see how he loves you and to be able to see like, oh, yes, he loves my quirks because he made my quirks, just like he loves everybody's quirks because he made everybody's quirks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so good. Talk some uh, some more about what you do um, with your work with the campus ministries. What does that look like on a daily basis, and how do you interact with the students there? So my husband would argue that there's no such thing as a daily basis for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I work for an organization called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and um, for the majority of the time, I've actually worked with Greek InterVarsity. We work with fraternity and sorority students. 
Um, so InterVarsity is separated into several different ministries. And our basic uh, methodology is that we train students to lead inductive evangelistic Bible studies in their area of influence. So for like in Greek university, which is what I spent the majority of my career in, uh, we would train students to lead Bible studies in fraternities and sororities. Um, but for some students, it could be leading Bible studies in their dorms, you know, different, different areas. And again, these Bible studies are inductive. So they're not the kind of Bible studies where there's a list of questions and you answer them. They're an inductive Bible studies where everybody gets the passage printed out and you get to observe it together, questions together, and really debate it. They're super lively. Um, and then they're also evangelistic. So they're, they're both for Christians and non-Christians. Um, and so my experience on campus, I, I'm actually in an area director now, or associate area director now. My experience on campus, when I was on campus, was I would meet with either students who were leaders and train them in how to be leaders. How do they share their faith? How do they live out their faith? Um, you know, all those little things. <laughs> um, so a lot of time uh, just listening to students. Um, or I meet with non-Christians or people who are exploring their faith and kind of talk about who Jesus is and and the relationship that Jesus is inviting them into. Um, and then, you know, also I have the less fun part of my job, which is filling out expense reports and planning <laughs> conferences and all that stuff. But the fun part, the meat of our job is, is meeting with college students and helping them figure out how they can be basically missionaries um, on the college campus. I'm a huge, huge believer that if God has called you, you are called into mission. And whether that be, um, and I think mission is like, you know, both developing disciples, but also caring about social injustice and the poor. And so most of my job is helping students to figure out where is God calling them and how do they live that out? Well, I have to say one of the things that I love about your work is that you are leading them in the inductive Bible study where it's not, there is one correct answer to fill in this blank here, but it's, you know, let's talk about this. What did you observe? How did this hit you? Um, how can you relate to what's happening there? Um, talk about your own personal Bible study. Is it more inductive or deductive or what does your own study look like? Oh, so I have realized I'm a little bit ruined by InterVarsity. Um, <laughs> and that I, uh, so right now, at my, I said my new role as associate area director, I'm supposed to be planting new InterVarsities across the state of Georgia, which means I need to meet a lot of adults. <laughs> and so I've been putting myself in situations to meet, in, in wonderful situations to meet people. Uh, but I've realized that I love the inductive style because I like the lively, the conversation. And so whenever I go to a Bible study where there's like a fill in this box and there is a right answer, the rebel in me is like, I don't want you to tell me what the right answer is. I want to discuss it. Um, yeah. So unfortunately or fortunately, my my scripture study, when I say scripture, and I love the Bible. I'm a huge Bible and theology geek. But my actual study of scripture is inductive uh, when I do it on my own. But I also really love the more Eastern Orthodox kind of contemplative practices. So yeah. uh, Lecto Divina and um, do more like like pr uh, prayer ministry or prayer labyrinths where I'm engaging with God with other parts of my heart because I'm a nerd. Um, I mean, again, I went to Emory. I, Super nerdy. Um, That's okay. You are welcome here. Okay. <laughs> Two writers. I uh, would say that. <laughs> um, 
so I'm, I, so whenever I want to really engage the other part of my, myself or the other part of my relationship with God, I, I need to force myself to do something not nerdy. So that's where either any kind of a, the more contemplative practices actually helps me to see a different side of God. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's so important um, because we all have, I think, a style that we're most comfortable with, whether it's, you know, a style that we grew up with or what we were taught as an early Christian. And so if that has become sort of our method, it's easy to get stuck in that and not branch out into seeing God different ways, hearing from God in different ways. And, you know, we, we are the ones who limit him, I think, and limit the ways that we hear from him and experience him when we refuse to acknowledge that our way is not the only way. So I love that. It's really important. (laughs) I think I'm learning that more the older I get. Like yeah. I used to be really emphatic, especially in my twenties, especially things about like either racial reconciliation or women in ministry. I was super emphatic and I, I knew all the answers, in my young twenties. And yeah. now I spend a lot of time with older, like older adults because I'm in more of the, the leadership than varsity. And I'm realizing that I, I'm less emphatic and I'm also less sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I think God is more diverse than I want to believe he is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's so true that the, the older I get and the closer I get to God, the more I realize I don't know anything, you know, the more questions I have and um, the more debates I'm willing to engage in because I want to hear other people's perspectives. Because just like you said, like I'm, I'm less sure of myself. Um, I, I don't know, just the closer I get to God, the more I realize he's not going to fit in a nice, neat little box like I want him to, because then he would be manageable and our God is not manageable. Yeah, he's really not. It would be so much easier if he was. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So tell me about um, the students that you work with. I mean, obviously, the the title of this show is In This Skin. And I'm just thinking back to when I was, you know, in college, when I was in my teens, early 20s, what that time period was like in my life, where I did not know who I was. I mean, I, I just had so many questions about you know, the way I was wired and I felt like so many things about me were a mistake and all of that. What would you say are the the things that come out, come up most commonly in your interactions with these students? So that's a really question about what, what students are like in their twenties. I, I get asked a lot when I'm going to move into real ministry, AKA working for a church. Um, especially because I actually really love to preach, but, um, I actually love the college students. I love I love that where they are is that they're trying to figure it out. I think it's a really beautiful place. I think there is something uh, truly authentic about the college faith journey um, that I just love seeing God interact with. And I, I think if we're honest with ourselves as campus ministers, our job is not to give answers, but to provide space for students to wrestle with that and to wrestle with who they are and wrestle with who God is um, and just kind of be a, a safe place place for them to come wrestle. So yeah, that wasn't really such an answer. I think that one of the things I've noticed with college students is there, um, so right now we've got this iGen generation in with the millennials that were here before, and I'm a millennial, I'm an older millennial. Um, there was this desire to be perfect and this fear of screwing up uh, that I think almost hindered people from exploring their faith and, and, and being comfortable with who they are in their own skin uh, because they, they were afraid to fail. Um, and whether that's because of helicopter parenting or the culture, I'm not really sure. Um, I would love to talk to sociologists about that. But um, there was this fear of wrestling with God. And there's something really cool when you give a college student, or I guess anybody, the permission to wrestle with Jesus and to say, 
it's okay that you don't know all the answers. It's okay. Like, it's okay to say, I love God and say, but I'm uncomfortable with the stories of genocide in the old Testament or, um, the way women were treated and right. Like all that is not only okay, it's actually good. And I always bring it back to friends, like, right. Like you're not really a really good friend with somebody until you've had a fight. Yeah. And it's after having a fight and, and wrestling with them and like trying to see it from their point of perspective and saying, I love you, even when I disagree, that we really start to become closer uh, to our friends. I mean, and, and those of us who are married definitely see that in marriage too. Um, I think that's true for God too, that, that, that our relationship with him grows deeper when we're given that permission to argue with him, to disagree with him, to figure yeah. out who he is. So that's, that's been a really huge blessing to be allowed to be part of that um, and to be allowed to be, to, for God to let me uh, just have a inside glimpse of, of people wrestling with that. And again, I, I don't think that I have, we have a pretty high conversion rate for university, the chapter I used to lead in university. Um, and so people always were telling me, oh, what did you do? And I was like, the reality is I did very little. I, I think most of my job is is providing space and then getting out of the way. Mm. Um. <laughs> I love that. I really do. I, I mean, I think that in so many cases should be the job that we have as followers of Christ, instead of trying to preach people into the kingdom and instead of trying to pull them into the kingdom, if we will show them the kingdom and then get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do the work in their lives, that's always going to be so much more effective than us trying in our flesh, you know, to, to help somebody earn their salvation. You know, I just think that we go about it wrong so many times where We've got to give people the permission, like you said, to wrestle with the hard issues because there are hard issues that come with our faith. But I mean, I just I just love that. I think that's why your conversion rate is high, you know, because you gave people permission to acknowledge that this is not a simple um, a simple truth to accept, you know, that, that there are difficulties. There are things that we have to wrestle with. Right. Well, and I think you brought something else to the second part that I, I would say about uh, the, my job and the, um, being your skin is that you mentioned kingdom. And I, I don't know what it's like in Spartanburg, but the majority of my time was at the university of Georgia, which is in Athens, Georgia. And so the majority of the students that I was spending time with were from Atlanta suburbs, basically. They grew up in the church. They'd always heard this understanding of who God is kind of the, like, Jesus Christ is your personal friend, right? <laughs> which yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think one of the other fun things I've gotten to do is actually talk about, okay, but what does it mean that God's kingdom is coming here? And what is God's kingdom? And um, challenging students on that issue of like uh, God's kingdom is, is coming here. And that's where I've really loved this new generation of students, either some people call them the iGen, some people call them the Z generation, but their desire to see the beauty and stuff means they get God's kingdom, right? They, or they, at least they want to get God's kingdom. And so when you talk to them about like, hey, like Isaiah talked about this beautiful kingdom that is, you know, wiping every tear from the eye or showing them pictures of revelation of this bride and, and talking about how that, that's, that's going to come here, that's in the process of coming here. Um, and that we get to both witness that and testify to it um, is fun because it allows college students to be different from their parents. Um, and that's the other thing that's really fun. And I'm not... I mean, I'm a mom, so I, I'm definitely not begrudging any relationship that a parent has with their kid. But there's something uh, important developmentally for a, a 
for anybody to say, this is my own faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I've really seen it kind of happen in a fun way in college students is where I'm able to say, hey, all those things that your secular friends are talking about, uh, women's rights, racial reconciliation, uh, rape culture, all those things, God talked about them first. And here's how God talked about them and kind of introduced them to the idea of like, actually, God cares about all of that. And it's okay that you care about that too. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's also been kind of fun. And, and that's more of this like newer, again, this newer generation of getting to, um, but I've really seen, a, yeah, a freedom of like talking about that, especially, and I don't know if that's true everywhere, if that's just here in Athens. I mean, with my new role, I get to be in more places. So I'll let you know in six months if it's the same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it may not be. <laughs> I do respect the fact that everywhere is different, uh, but it, it has been fun. And it, it's, got, it's given me a lot of opportunity. Urbana was last uh, Christmas Urbana is a the largest missions conference in the country, and um, a group of us get to teach inductive Bible study, and so you get these huge groups of hundreds where you do inductive Bible study all together. And this year we did Revelation; the whole thing was Revelation, which meant that um, we got I got a whole lot of hilarious comments on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but <laughs> um, what it, what it did with the students of getting to like push that kingdom view. And having students talk about like God's kingdom was that the students actually got to engage in like uh, the beauty of God. And it, it just, it was remarkable to watch God move and to let students wrestle with, where, okay, so where do we fit in? Um, anyway, that was totally random. I hope that answered um, some of yes. what you were asking. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That That's great. And um, I'm a former high school English teacher. And so, you know, I just love the fact that I'm imagining some of the students who sat in my classrooms, um, you know, going into an environment where where that is something that they're open to, you know, where um, they can talk about their faith and they can talk about all of those issues that really do matter to them. Because you're right, this generation cares about all of those social issues. Um, and those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive, you know, that they they can all come together in the kingdom. And so I just I just value the work that you're doing. And um, yeah. gosh, I love it. Keep it up. That's awesome. Don't now don't tell my donors that I just get out of the way because that made them tell you a joke. <laughs> you are actually working. We'll we'll make sure that we clarify that. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, listen, as we um kind of wrap this up, this is the question I want to close with. If there's somebody listening today um who is in the boat currently where you used to be, where you were really struggling to understand who you were and um, you know, how God wanted to use you and all of that. What would be your advice to somebody like that today who's just really struggling to be comfortable in her skin? What would you say? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I, I think if I tell a quick story uh, before yeah. I answer that. Um, so a couple years ago, three three years ago, because my, my oldest daughter's three, um, I was teaching at our orientation for new staff. And that's for all the new staff across the country. I was up in Wisconsin uh, teaching in Ephesians 2 and, and inductively. Apparently, that's my thing. I do know other stuff, but just not talking about today, apparently. Um, and I, I was, I was standing in front of this, this group of all these new staff and, um, going through Ephesians 2.10, where it says you're God's handiwork. And my application, I was supposed to talk about how I felt that way. This is how my story from college, right? Like about how I believe that God wanted to use me as a campus minister and that I could come on staff and that he could use me, even though uh, if, if any of you guys see a picture of me, I don't look like a campus. 
either, right? Like I don't act, there's nothing that people would look at me and be like, oh, you look like you're probably really strong with your faith. Um, and I wanted to share that story and how like God affirmed me as a woman in ministry. And I want to share all these things that happened 10 years ago, right? Um, and as I'm standing up there in front of these new staff who I'm supposed to be, you know, leading or teaching or any other such nonsense, um, because whenever I'm supposed to be leading or teaching, God always teaches me more. So I don't, I, I don't really like that term. Uh, but as I'm standing there, I hear Jesus say, this isn't about when you were 10 years, about 10 years ago. This is that I can still use you as a mom and that I can still use you even though you don't feel usable. And I, I didn't at that time feel very effective as anything, as a campus minister, as a wife, as even somebody who keep my house clean, because I felt like I could barely keep my head above water, right? And we were having conversations of like, how do I even exist, let alone be successful in any way? And, and there were multiple times that year where I was like, I want to give this up because I can't be... I can't be who I'm created to be, right? Just really feeling guilty about everything in my life. And I think there's a lot of moms who probably share that feeling, but how that manifested in me was I didn't believe that God could use me. I couldn't use me because I was a mom. And I just, I had to stop the teaching for a second and like share that story in the middle of teaching, which is the worst thing you could possibly do is share a story you don't prepare. Um, so if you have any teachers listening, don't do that. Um <laughs> But it, it did kind of point to me two things. One, that I think we're all in this journey. I think that we all have this understanding that that person's already there. I want to be there too. And I don't think that any of us are there. I think that we are all disciples of Christ, that God is constantly molding us and shaping us and trying to get us to be who we are fully, which is his image bearers, right? And it doesn't happen. I don't think it happens until we're fully sanctified. So the first thing is to be okay in that process. Be okay that you don't know who you are fully or you're not fully comfortable. It's okay to be in that in-between in stage, if that makes sense. And to also realize that even when you feel okay, there are going to be other times that God brings it up. And God's going to continue to mold you and shape you and and and, and just kind of change us. And I think we see that when we see we have this older couple at our church that just, they 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 radiate the love of Christ, you know, like <laughs> they do fully seem like they're actually <laughs> there and it's okay. They, they're like that because they're 80 or 82. And so they've had several years on me to be working with God. That's, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, so not only to be okay with being in that journey and have grace with yourself in that journey, mm -hmm. but to keep putting yourself at God's feet and letting him be the one to tell you that you're his image bearer. And whether all of us experience God differently, and you mentioned that earlier, but whether that we do that through scripture study, our prayer, our praise and worship, what, however we put ourselves best at God's feet. I used to have an intern who did it by drawing. I can't draw, so I was always flabbergasted that she'd bring out color pencils and draw, and that's how she experienced God. But, you know, that was her. Um, if it's hiking or whatever it is, to, to try to keep putting yourself in that place that God can be the one to say, I see you, you are mine, you are my image bearer. And, you know, I made you, you're, you're my handiwork for this, uh, for, for these plans I have made for you from Ephesians, Paul's letter to Ephesians, and just continuing to put yourself in his, his presence so that he can be the one to tell you. Because I think what sometimes we do, sometimes, it, at least for me, 
that when I was like looking for answers, I would always look towards other people. I would look to people who like I thought had all the answers or I would read books and and I'm actually a nerd. So I believe in reading books, but um, I would try to replace the word of God or the presence of God with things that seemed easier for me to understand again, books or stories or whatever, or people. And I think there's an invitation there for God to say, all of that is good. All that stuff is good, but it's, but God also wants to be the one to mold us and to change it and to help us see that like we are his image. Does that make sense? <laughs> that was a very yeah. long winded way to say that. <laughs> no, I thought, I thought that was perfect. That's such good advice. And, um, I think that's something we all can relate to, you know, allowing ourselves to be loved by God, allowing ourselves to experience Him in a way that is most authentic for us. Um, yeah, I mean, I love that. I think that, that's perfect. Um, gosh, thank you so much for all of your advice today and for sharing your story. I really do think people are going to benefit from it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. I'm so grateful for Paula Francis's experience here. She has lived a life really different from mine, but what I always love about talking with people is seeing just how much we really have in common. And this makes me think of what happened last night at a women's event at my church. We had a panel of women from all stages of life answering questions from the crowd. And by the end of the night, this is the conclusion we reached. We all struggle, we all have insecurities, and we all desperately need to know that we aren't alone. So this week, my challenge to you is to reach out to just one person and let him or her know that you see them and that their experiences are not unique. They're just human experiences. You guys have a great week and we will see you back here next time.